focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Handan and Kwon Soa. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. All right, uh, we've been kind of covering this as the first piece of story uh, for weeks now. Uh, we're talking about the South Korean currency tumbling uh, against the U.S. dollar. Uh, it continues to go down. My goodness, now it's now at the 1,381 level against the greenback. We're seeing it's inching closer and closer to the 1,400 mark. Uh, we've seen this before. Uh, we continue to say it's the uh, the lowest it's gone since 13 plus years. We say this almost on a daily basis right now. Uh, so uh, give us the latest updates on this concerning trend we're seeing. Right. Decline after decline. The Korean won has fallen for six consecutive sessions, closing at 1,384.2 per dollar uh, this Wednesday, down 12.51 from the previous session's close. Uh, at one point, the local currency even dipped to as low as 1,300. 188.4 against the dollar. So that's now the weakest figure since March 30th, 2009. So not April anymore. We go further back to March. So that is, as you said, SJ, getting dangerously closer to the 1,400 level. Uh, the one stays weak with the U.S. dollar remaining firm, uh, the U.S. dollar remaining firm against uh, major currencies amid the Federal Reserve's continued aggressive interest rate hikes and more expected to come. Uh, Finance Minister Chu Gyeong-ho this Wednesday uh, made a verbal warning vowing for the government to take proper steps to stabilize the foreign exchange market if necessary. And experts do say there is a chance for the current Korean currency to weaken to the 1,400 level against the dollar amid the strong demand for the dollar. Uh, the won has dipped more than 14% against the dollar so far this year. Uh, meanwhile, the benchmark Kospi fell 1.39% or 33.56%. Six points to 2,376.46. That's right. Uh, if we see the U.S. dollar continue to go strong, and not to mention uh, it, when the uh, the U.S. Fed is going to continue to increase their uh, rate hike uh, rate hikes, right? I think uh, the next hike they're looking at something like 75 basis points. Yeah. Uh, if we see that, the U.S. dollar is going to continue to go up. There's going to be a lot of money moving out of South Korea, which is this is uh, the the big concern. Uh, also, uh, as criticisms mount on high real estate taxes here in Korea. Lawmakers have passed an amendment bill today that reduces the tax burden on homeowners. Uh, Don, give us the details of this. Right. As you know, the citizens' anger was mounting with steep tax hikes introduced during the previous Moon administration. And in line with President Yoon sung yeols campaign pledges, the current government has been seeking to reduce the real estate tax burden on homeowners in Korea. And today, an amendment bill to lower what's called a comprehensive real estate holding tax was passed during National Assembly's plenary session. First of all, the new bill will reduce the tax burden on those who temporarily own two homes for various reasons, such as when they bought a new home but were unable to sell off their old home immediately or when the new home was inherited. Also, those who purchased a new low-priced home in the rural areas, clearly without speculative purposes, will be able to maintain a single homeowner status. The bill includes a comprehensive real estate tax credit of up to 80% for the elderly and long-term single homeowners, those who owned a home for more than five years, to be exact. 
The amended bill also raises the tax-free baseline from the current housing price of 600 million won to 1.1 billion won for single homeowners. The amendment will take effect from the end of this November. More than 90,000 people are expected to enjoy tax benefits, according to Pak uh, a member of the ruling People Power Party who chairs the Parliamentary Finance Committee. The Yun administration and the ruling PPP have been pushing to overhaul the tax scheme as criticisms mounted on steep real estate tax hikes levied even on single homeowners, including the elderly population, many of whom experience lack of cash flow after retirement. Yeah, I think that was a big concern. Like all the uh, the elderly population who had these homes for a really long time in certain areas were like real estate prices started skyrocketing and then the taxes come in and they're just unable to pay this off. But I'm sure even with this uh, new, uh, I guess, uh, bill here, uh, they're going to have to prove that you are trying to sell uh, one of the houses and you're just unable to sell it. And also, I mean, show that the other areas that you have are really not for speculative reasons. Uh, let's move on with South Korea's preparations for the World Expo. And uh, eight years from now, a uh, country was set to submit its proposal for the Busan World Expo to the event's authorities this Wednesday. So uh, tell us more about the latest process. Sure. So a South Korean government delegation led by the Trade Ministry, uh, I saw recent uh, reports, they have now submitted their proposal for the hosting of the World Expo 2030 in Busan uh, as it was to be handed in uh, this Wednesday time to the Bureau International des Expositions, or BIE, which is the intergovernmental organization in charge of overseeing and regulating world expos. So this will be another milestone in gearing up for the bid. The World Expo, along with the Olympics and the FIFA World Cup, is considered as one of the top three mega global events, which attracts millions of visitors from around the world. So no wonder a successful hosting of the expo is estimated to lead to economic benefits, and these are currently estimated at some 61 trillion won, or roughly 44 billion U.S. dollars. Hosting the 2030 Expo was also high on the list of President Yoon Seok-yeol's election pledges. South Korea's proposal, meanwhile, is said to present a roadmap for the successful hosting of the event, the country's capabilities, as well as the city of Busan's dynamic story that played a big uh, role in South Korea's economic growth. Now, we have come uh, quite far now. Uh, we have just two uh, more rivals, Saudi Arabia's Riyadh and Italy's Rome, although oil-rich Riyadh is also currently seen as a very strong competitor. Uh, all three bidding countries' proposals will be revealed to members of the BIE with a final vote to be made in November next year, for the big decision. That's right. Uh, I was just kind of looking at uh, some of these other expos that took place here in South Korea. Like uh, the Yosu Expo? Yeah, the Yosu Expo, right? Uh, and then the the one that I remember, which, by the way, had like the best mascot ever. I think it was Kumdori, uh, the Daejeon mm-hmm. Expo back in 93. Oh, yeah, the yellow one, right? Yeah, yeah, the, great, the greatest mascot, <laughs> I think, in the history of all things. Uh, I still have one, one glow-in-the-dark uh, Kumdori. I <laughs> I went, to, I went to Daejeon the other 
another uh, a couple uh, was it last month, and they're they're still selling the kumdori uh, dolls, which it was a very popular mascot. When by was the way. that though? I think ninety three. I, I was in Germany. Yeah, I, but I don't well, know why I know about this expo. <laughs> no, because it was that big. I think yeah. it, I, to be honest with you, I think the the mascot made a bigger splash than the <laughs> expo in itself. Uh, but as, apart from the proposals content, uh, we can't ignore the role that the p- diplomacy plays mm. in getting as many uh, possible members to vote for us, right? Right. Uh, that indeed is a crucial factor. And that is also why President Yoon Seok-yeol and officials are appealing to other countries whenever they can. And that's exactly what President Yoon is also planning to do during the uh, UN General Assembly in New York next month. Uh, the presidential office, the prime minister's office, and also a special committee that's been recently combined by two separate committees in charge of the expo are all doing their utmost uh, in preparations. And And it's not only um, government officials, also major South Korean companies uh, with conglomerate CEOs uh, acting as special envoys for the event to make global networks and resources support South Korea's campaign. Uh, For instance, Samsung uh, is in charge of 31 nations, SK24, Hyundai Motor 21, LG 10, POSCO 7, and Lotte 3. And I also believe that many of these, um, uh, these heads of these companies are expected to go abroad yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, in particular for uh, this um, uh, this reason to uh, garner support from other countries for the Busan Expo. That's that's right. And also they're going to be probably one of the major sponsors yeah. of the uh, the World Expo if it does happen down in Busan. Um, but let's talk again. This is a major, major event, uh, not to mention the fact that it could potentially take place in uh, Pusan, which I, not not to take anything away from like the cities of Yasu and Daejeon, it's two cities that I absolutely loved. I've been to Yasu as well. It's, it's a great place to visit. Uh, Pusan is just on a different level here. Tan, how does Pusan's expo kind of resemble Korea's bid to host the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympic Games? Because that was another big one, right? That we right. finally were able to get after like three tries. Well, first of all, the World Expo is one of, like Sua mentioned, one of the three biggest global events along with the World Cup and the Olympics. And so South Korea is now making utmost efforts to host the mega event, just like it strived to win the bid to host the 2018 Winter Olympics. And at the heart of all the efforts to host such a huge global event, of course, lies various efforts made by Korea's biggest companies to form connections with global leaders and bolster ties with relevant parties. And uh, just as an interesting side story. What's funny is that Samsung Air Lee Jae-yong has been assigned mm-hmm. as a special presidential envoy for the Busan Expo bid just like his father, yeah, yeah. Lee Kwon-hee, mm-hmm. the late Samsung patriarch took on a lobbying campaign that eventually helped in earning South Korea the rights to host the 2018 PyeongChang Winter Olympics. And what's even more intriguing is that Lee Jae-yong is faced with a similar situation that his late father was in when he strived to clinch the Winter Olympics. Deja vu. Lee Kwon-hee was given a presidential pardon for a tax evasion conviction under a few conditions, one of which was his efforts to succeed, uh, help Korea succeed in winning the bid to That's host the Pyeongchang right. Olympics. And E was also, E uh, Taeyong was also granted a pardon by President Yoon Song yeol in August over the bribery conviction that led him to serve a prison term. And I'm sure Part of the reasons why he was granted the special pardon was to do his part mm. for Korea's expo yeah, campaign. It was really and, timely. Yeah. And in fact, E is likely to visit uh, Britain later this month in support of the campaign. And, uh, you know, speaking of the 20. 20- 
2018 PyeongChang Winter Olympics, doesn't it bring back the memories of the good old days when we were all working as uh, news reporters for Arirang <laughs> TV, right? I, um, I went to so many different places, met with a wide range of people to cover stories related to the PyeongChang Winter Olympics. And I remember the entire country was like really gung-ho about, uh, you know, actually winning this bid yeah. and achieve Korea's dream of hosting the country's first Winter Olympics. And I'm so I'm hoping that uh, Korea will once again show its strength, its perseverance and um, uh, collected efforts to once again achieve the country's dream and host the world's next expo. It was so emotional. I remember when uh, they announced that Pyeongchang was finally going to be able to host the Winter Olympics because if you remember, South uh, Pyeongchang was trying to host uh, at the 2010 Winter Games, which eventually went to Vancouver, and then that didn't work. And they tried to, you know, bid for the 2014 Winter Games, which they didn't win, and ended up going to Sochi. Right. And then finally, on the third on try, the third try is the mm-hmm. charm. Yeah, third time's a charm, and uh, it was very emotional. And uh, obviously, one of the best. Uh, and, and I mean, we had like one of the peaceful, peaceful, most peaceful mm-hmm. Korean peninsula uh, because of you know the, the the what is it the inter-Korean team that we saw as well. Uh, so. Uh, what are your thoughts or what are some of the experts' thoughts on the likeliness to win the bid here? Well, I think I think, and I hope really that we do win the bid. Uh, and especially because, come to think of it, uh, the decision will be made next year. And then we have until 2030 to prepare. So that really itself shows us how big of an event this is, yeah. how much of work is going into this event. And I could feel this already uh, earlier this month. I went down to the city of Busan to MC for an event. It was on. Uh, it was an advertising event uh, where global um, advertisers came and uh, spoke about uh, their um, advertisings, advertisements. But South Korea there... Uh, even had presentations directly linked to the Busan Expo. And they even had an expo hall. So I I was like, did we already win the bid? (laughs) So that's how much we are already into this. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, also later uh, this month, I'll be down for a three-day event in Busan. And I actually saw reports that said they are actually holding all of these uh, international events, um, many of these in Busan because of the expo already so that we can have, you know, show the world the image of Busan as a global a city that can host such a big event. And uh, also, um, uh, officials do express confidence in winning the bid because of K, the K culture that's really <laughs> BTS booming. is also yeah. the PR right? and that, exactly right. that is actually a big uh, factor because uh, many do say currently um, Rome does not seem to be as big of a competitor than Riyadh against South Korea, but South Korea has a big chance because of the image of the K-culture and K-pop. So let's hope that that will also really do play a big factor in our bid. I'm wondering, I, I thought when I was looking at the uh, the list of uh, world expos that uh, took place before, I, was, I, th- I thought I saw Riyadh. Uh, as one of the cities there. I'm not sure if they've already done it. Maybe not. I could be really wrong with this one. Uh, no, they haven't. Okay, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm wrong with this. I'm wondering if Seoul is like going down to Busan all the time to MC all these events. Imagine like she comes out and she's, uh, you know how for the PyeongChang Winter Games it was mm-hmm. uh, Na Seung-yeon who came out and doing the uh, the presentation? That is right. Oh! 
Yay, right? my God, doing, I just got goosebumps. And doing all the presentations as to why Pyeongchang needs to, mm. you know, win the bid for the Winter Games. <laughs> By the way, Na Seungyeon is Arirang's very, used to yeah. be Arirang's yeah. very own reporter. Exactly, senior, exactly. Yeah. And then imagine Soa comes out and going like... <gasps> <laughs> Guys, wow. we, we need to have Busan as the uh, the host city for you know World what? Expo. I'm going to write that down in my Bide uh, Ilki, my future journal, because because <laughs> when I was like in my early 20s, I wrote that I want to do something during the G20 um, summit. And oh. I didn't even work at Arirang back then, but Big then I dreams. did get a role there. I worked for uh, another station and did some stuff um for a, a channel on YouTube. And then also we talked about the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, right? right. Back then, I over, I was a freelancer. I actually uh, just quit as a um, reporter at Arirang in 2017. And then I did get to MC at the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. And now SJ, as you're talking about that, I'll, Can you I'll imagine write that, that down. Because <laughs> I, I th- no, even with uh, the previous uh, presentations, it was uh, another former Arirang hmm. reporter. Uh, An- oh my goodness. I re- An Jung-hyun. An Jung-hyun. Mm. Yeah, that's right. You know, she was, she did the first two. And then uh, Na Seung-hyun, she ended up doing the third and it was successful. And so you could continue on with the Arirang uh, legacy of uh, <laughs> <laughs> and contribute to achieving Korea's dream of hosting the next World Expo. Right. I have a very good feeling about this. Right. All you have to do is look. It's BTS. <laughs> just, just let, let Busan uh, host host the uh, the event, the World Expo. BTS guys, BTS. Right. Uh, we're gonna move on to other issues. I hope you write that down in your future diary. I will uh, <laughs> definitely. The U.S. government has confirmed that uh, Russia is seeking to buy millions of military hardware from uh, North Korea's uh, sanctions have really been squeezing out Moscow's ability to supply weapons uh, for use in Ukraine. Uh, Tan, let's get the latest on this. Right. Top U.S. government officials have confirmed that the Russian Ministry of Defense is in the process of purchasing millions of rockets and artillery shells from North Korea for use in Ukraine. And they say this is a sign of severe supply shortages amid stifling sanctions slapped on Russia. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre on Tuesday local time said that the U.S. is choking off Russia's military supply chains. And an example of that is Russia now having to rely on North Korea and Iran for military equipment. Principal Deputy Spokesperson for the U.S. State Department, Vedant Patel, echoed the claim, saying Russia is in the process of purchasing millions of rockets and artillery shells from North Korea for use in Ukraine. He went on to slam Russia for violating the U.N. sanctions slapped on the country and North Korea, saying that while all U.N. sanctions are a serious violation, what's particularly concerning is that Russia, a permanent member of the Security Council, is floating these measures. Pentagon's top spokesperson Patrick Ryder also reaffirmed that the U.S. has indications that Russia has approached North Korea to request ammunition. He refrained from disclosing further details, but said that the U.S. assesses that things are not going well on that front for Russia. The fact that they're reaching out to North Korea is a sign that they're having some challenges on the sustainment front. And uh, when asked about the exact scale of weapons Russia is seeking from North Korea, National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications John Kirby said that Washington's sense of scale includes literally millions of rounds, rockets, and artillery shells. But he added that there's no indication yet that the purchase has actually occurred. 
According to the U.S., Russia has reportedly imported weapons-capable Iranian drones last month that will likely be deployed on the battlefield in Ukraine. The U.S. assesses that due to stifling sanctions from the Western nations uh, and uh, prolonged uh and uh, stifling sanctions from the Western nations, Russia, uh, will it, things are not looking good for Russia, for sure. That's right. Uh, not to mention, uh, you mentioned uh, Patel, uh, the principal deputy spokesperson for the, uh, the U.S. State Department. Uh, he basically said, I mean, uh, it's North Korea. Iran is ap- apparently supplying them with drones, uh, is what they're doing. And then now ammunition from North Korea. They're saying, are we surprised that it's North Korea and Iran? I mean, these are the two rogue states that we mentioned before, right? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, Russia asking re- for requests are saying, uh, you know, Putin's desperate, right? And uh, I mean, I, I don't think Russia thought that this war was going to last this long. It wasn't even supposed to be a war. It was just an invasion in and out very quickly is what we thought, uh, what I think uh, Vladimir Putin thought. But it just lasted longer and longer, thanks to, of course, the assistance from the Western countries. Uh, meantime, North Korea's Supreme People's Assembly, uh, they're set to hold a meeting this Wednesday. So uh, so I'll fill us in on this. Right. Uh, North Korea's top legislative body was set to convene this Wednesday in Pyongyang. But uh, we have no details from the North as of yet, as reports are expected a day after the meeting. So tomorrow. Now, it is the first such meeting after North Korea declared a victory over COVID-19, and the last session took place in February. Uh, Back then, the focus was on bolstering defense capabilities and antivirus measures. Uh, The agenda for this Wednesday's meeting, based on earlier announcements in the North, were set to include agriculture policies as well as a reshuffle of personnel. Now, whether North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has attended the meeting or not is unknown, uh, but one one expert says, in fact, uh, Yang Muzin, professor at the University of North Korean Studies, uh, said that Kim uh, is um, not likely to have attended the meeting this time as he's not a representative of the Supreme People's Assembly and uh, that he just recently had sent some messages uh, at emergency um, virus prevention, disaster prevention meetings. But uh, where the regime leader might make an appearance is at the September 9th National Foundation Day. And Preparations seem to be in full swing. Uh, the North state media, the Korean Central News Agency, in fact, released uh, a number of pictures where North Korean people uh, arrived um, at train stations as well as uh, via buses in Pyongyang uh, already yesterday to attend the ceremony, the 74th anniversary uh, of uh, the North Korean um, government's establishment, which, as I said, will be held on September 9th. That's right. Uh, speaking of North Korea, South Korea's top nuclear envoy. Uh, he's in Japan for talks with his U.S. and Japanese counterparts to talk about North Korea. Town, let's get the latest on this. Right. South Korea's special representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, Kim Gun, held talks with his U.S. and Japanese counterparts in Tokyo today to share their assessments of the situation on the Korean Peninsula and gauge the possibility of further North Korea provocations, including the highly anticipated seventh nuclear test. In his opening remarks, Kim reiterated that the shared goal of the three nations is a complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula and that the three sides are ready to talk with North Korea without any preconditions. Japan's top nuclear envoy, Takehiro Funakoshi, echoed Kim's claims, saying that North Korea is always welcome at the negotiating table, even though the threat of further provocation may be looming. 
U.S. top nuclear envoy Sung Kim criticized the North for its relentless provocations, citing its series of ballistic missile launches, saying that such behavior threatens regional security and escalates military tensions, saying that the U.S. assesses Pyongyang has been preparing for its seventh nuclear test. He added that nuclear test threatens world peace and undermines global non-proliferation system. He went on to say that the U.S., along with South Korea and Japan, are preparing for all case scenarios and are also preparing stern responses in case of further North Korea provocations. This marked the first three-way in-person meeting among the top nuclear envoys since they last met in July in Indonesia. Kim is also expected to discuss President Yoon sung yeols so-called bold initiative during his trilateral and also bilateral talks with his counterparts. The bold initiative includes measures to provide large-scale economic support for North Korea to re-engage the state in dialogue. The initiative does require an exemption of sanctions imposed on the North by the UN Security Council. I have a feeling, I think there's a good reason for why North Korea hasn't conducted their seventh nuclear test just yet, because, I mean, we've been speculating on this for months now, right? I mean, you know, even back in, uh, what was it, uh, even before the uh, the launch of the UN administration, we're talking about how uh, North Korea might be conducting the seventh nuclear test. But I think even for North Korea, they're realizing that if they do conduct this nuclear test, there it's going to be a point of no return. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no way to turn back uh, back to things. There's going to be no dialogue. There's going to be more sanctions on North Korea and North Korea. I mean, their their economies uh, it's it's hit rock bottom because of the pandemic and all the flooding and things like that. And so that obviously the the high official top officials in North Korea and the, you know Kim Jong Un probably they're discussing all the uh, the protocols. What if we do test the nuclear weapons? How are we going to deal with it and things like that? Uh, can we afford? Because I I think the, part of them they want to talk to the United States and South Korea, but it's just that you know they're trying to squeeze them as much as they can until they say all right we'll give you sanctions relief. But when they haunt, heard the uh, the audacious initiative, they're just like ah. Eh. Not good enough, right? Uh, We'll continue to talk about that in our later shows. But uh, for now, we're going to wrap things up with the aftermath of the super typhoon Himnamnor, which unfortunately has led to uh, unfortunately has uh, led to more casualties in the past 24 hours uh, so as yesterday we spoke about the uh, the missing people from the submerged parking lot in Poang uh, there were a number of developments uh, some good uh, but also some bad as well uh, let's get the latest details of this sure so the typhoon left 11 people dead and one missing this is according to the central disaster and safety countermeasures headquarters as of 3 p.m. Uh, also, three people were injured. Uh, so let's talk about this case of the flooded underground parking garage in the southeastern city of Pohang. Uh, nine people were found there. Two of them survived, and the other seven were found in cardiac arrest and were pronounced dead later. Uh, so the number, if you remember from our report yesterday, has increased yeah. as there were more than uh, more than seven people in that one apartment's garage found because yesterday we were talking about seven people missing in total. Uh, and they were all trapped in the parking lot after they went to move their cars following the heavy downpours the typhoon brought along. And uh, I think it was uh, announcements that... Uh, 
uh, made them uh, go to um, their cars. And uh, there were times of hope uh, when the survivors, the two survivors were detected, a 39-year-old man and a 52-year-old woman who survived thanks to what we call, what we refer to so-called air pockets. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, the incident left more victims. And also in the city of Ulsan, a 25-year-old man was found dead this Wednesday afternoon, and he was reported missing after falling into a stream. Uh, meanwhile, uh, President Yoon Seok-yeol on Wednesday called on the swift designation of affected places as special disaster zones, in particular mentioning uh, he would designate the city of Pohang as soon as possible. Uh, the president, in fact, made a visit to uh, the city today, and he vowed the government would spend 50 billion won or 36 million U.S. dollars into recovery work. Now, this amount, uh, speaking about the entire work, uh, the recovery work, uh, he also uh, mentioned the government will stay on guard until, quote, the very end, as it is our responsibility to protect the lives and properties of the people, uh, adding he will take care of the situation uh, himself until we can return to our normal lives. I think some of our listeners might be going, how was a uh, parking lot flooded? But uh, I did get a chance to see the scene where they were able to rescue one of the survivors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's like a one, you know how some of the, the newer apartments that you guys probably live in uh, have like multiple floors, right? Mm-hmm. Like basement one, two, three, sometimes of like underground parking of lots, underground right? parking lots, right? So if it goes as far as to like, you know, B3 or something mm-hmm. like that, I would I don't think it's going to be like the water can't go up to that level if it's like, you know, basement, third floor, mm-hmm. second. I think this was like one level. Mm-hmm. And so when you see the right. entrance of the parking lot, the underground parking lot, it's completely, completely submerged. Right. Yeah, exactly. I saw the photos. Uh, it was just unbelievable. And for them to find that, you know, brief space of uh, air pocket, one of them, I believe, they were holding on to basically like one of the pipes right. for 13 hours. Yeah. yeah. 13 hours uh, was amazing. what was going on there. Uh, and it was a ray of hope for some of the others that were missing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it was not the case, but uh, I it, it was it's incredible. Thirteen hours you're able to you know stand there. Uh, and, goodness. Uh, but, and uh, I just want to mention. I just see that uh, still uh, rescue is ongoing there. Although the um, hopes are slim, but still there might be more people yeah. uh, that uh, we didn't know of uh, that were um, not reported missing before. Yeah, and the thing is, like, every second counts with this. I mean, uh, 13 hours is a real—even 13 hours, I think it's a miracle. Uh, but, you know, it's more hours, and a day has passed since then. Uh, it's it's highly unlikely, and this this kind of reminded me of if you guys remember back Terror. in the day. Now, well, Terror Hole too, but Terror Hole didn't have like survivors, right? Uh, well, survivors in that those who were able to escape, right, right. Uh, there were survivors, but like the Sampung uh, um, department store, right? There, there was some survivors there. Some after. people were found days after yeah, the building yeah. collapsed, and so they were able to find not what's called an air pocket, but there was like a space in yeah. between, mm. and uh, you know they were just drinking water from like the sewage pipes or things mm. like that. Uh, but uh, it really is unfortunate here. Um, but nevertheless, Tan, uh, Typhoon Him the Nora has really wreaked havoc in uh, much of these southern regions, as we just talked about here. Uh, rescue efforts well underway to help residents get back to their everyday lives. Uh, how are things looking right now? 
SJ, local governments and residents are doing the best they can to return to normalcy despite deep frustrations of how things turned out just ahead of Chuseok, one of Korea's biggest national holidays. Jeju Island got off to an early start as the island was the first in line to be hit by the super typhoon. More than 400 cases of damage have been reported according to the Jeju provincial government, including several cases of inundations. There were no casualties. Restoration efforts are taking place in the island after winds have subsided and Jeju aims to clear the debris and rebuild streetlights and other damaged facilities before the Chuseok holiday begins. In Busan, where four were wounded with no deaths reported, civil workers are continuing to restore damaged facilities with local residents. Damage was centered around the beaches, including Marine City, a high-rise residential area right by the Haeundae Beach, and Gwangalli and Songdo Beaches. Nearly 9,000 homes were out of power during the typhoon in the port city. In South Gyeongsang Province, military units have been dispatched to the scene to help restoration efforts. More than 430 soldiers are now in uh, typhoon-ravaged areas, helping to clear debris and rebuild facilities. Restoration efforts are also well underway in Ulsan, where over 835,000 square meters of a national park and a walking trail stretching over 52 kilometers were entirely, complete, completely submerged. Most of the roads have now uh, reopened, uh, but a few still remain blocked. In North Gyeongsang Province, the hardest hit region, including Pohang, efforts continue to restore damage from inundation at homes and at farmlands. According to the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters of nearly 8,330 houses that were submerged nationwide. Nearly 8,310 were located in North Gyeongsang Province. And of more than 3,800 hectares of damaged farmlands nationwide, more than 2,300 were in North Gyeongsang Province. And as Hua just reported, uh, Gyeongsang, North Gyeongsang Province is where it uh, recorded the highest death toll uh, from the super typhoon. Uh, The mighty... Because that, that's what they call themselves, right? They're even able to catch ghosts, kill ghosts and catch ghosts. Uh, we're talking about the South Korean Marine Corps. Uh, they've actually helped significantly in saving the lives over in Poang in North Gyeongsang Province, as uh, just uh, Tan mentioned. And this is becoming a hot issue. So Tan, tell us more about this. Uh, before I get to my next story, I, I want to apologize for laughing right after uh, discussing a death toll, the yeah, highest no, death well, toll. But my laugh, laughter was aimed at uh, SJ calling the ROK Marine Corps the mighty I have to call ROK them mighty. Marine Corps. My, my, I have two cousins who came out of the Marine Corps, and they won't stop talking about it. And I have to call them mighty cousins. So uh, that's, that's why, <laughs> yeah. Well, some 1,300 Marines, or we call ghost killers, right, were dispatched to the industrial port city of Pohang, saving 27 stranded citizens. 59 vehicles, 11 units of IBS, or uh, inflatable boats, and two Korean amphibious assault vehicles that we call KAAV were deployed to assist disaster response. They helped stranded citizens at roofs and elsewhere evacuate to a safe place and assisted rescuers enter inundated areas on the amphibious vehicles. The ROK Marine Corps has posted a video of the Marines rescuing citizens on the KAAV in torrential waters, and the video has been viewed by many Korean citizens who sent warm and supportive messages to the Marines uh, and all the other rescuers still working against the clock to save lives and restore damage. 
You know, in, in times like this, uh, we really need uh, the citizens of, uh, every, you know, from every different corners of Korea to really help out. And uh, I remember when, like, you know, it was a Typhoon Mimi. There was, like, the, the phone number that you can call to, you know, donate money mm. and things like that. And they used to have all that stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of things that you guys can do to help those that have been impacted by this uh, recent typhoon there. Uh, nevertheless, guys, thank you very much uh, for your coverage and your insights on some of these issues. And uh, I guess uh, starting today, I have to be nicer to Soa because she might be, like, the next big... <laughs> MC doing presentations for the, uh, the World Expo in Busan. But guys, thank you very much. Stay safe and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank you. See you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.